time, but would you introduce yourself to those that don't know you and tell a little bit about yourself and then we'll get right into it? Yeah, I was brought up in Pennsylvania in an evangelical uh, Protestant home and um, in, in college, went to a fine college named Bob Jones University. But at college, I became an Anglican and very um, fond of everything English. Uh, and so uh, I uh, felt a call to the, the Anglican priesthood, went over to England to study became an Anglican priest for 15 years, then converted to the Catholic faith, and then 10 years later came back to the U.S. to be ordained as a Catholic priest, although I was married, under the pastoral provision for married former um, Protestant ministers. And all of this has been um, just published in a new book called There and Back Again, oh, okay, uh, which is my conversion story, which has just been published by Ignatius Press. There and Back Again, because I came from uh, the U.S. went to England and came back again. Okay, well, you could still you still have the the beautiful accent. <laughs> no, not very much. I've been here for almost twenty. Back here for about twenty years now, so it's um it's faded quite a bit. But my wife is English, so she's the real thing. I was <laughs> I was wondering about that. Uh, you found her when you were over in England, then. That's right. Okay. Do you have any children? Four. Okay, and. How are they adults now? I don't have yeah, any. Yeah, they're idea. all they're all in their twenties and are um out of the nest. Okay, uh, so like, how old were you when you got ordained? So I was uh twenty eight when I was ordained as an Anglican priest, yeah. and then I was fifty when I was ordained as a Catholic priest back here in the U.S. Okay, all right. Um, and I don't know much about the Anglican Church. Is it is there a different? Uh, versions of it uh, more of a uh, orthodox yeah, liberal the version Ang or... the anglican church is another name for the church of england right uh, and it's basically the episcopal church but in england where it all started okay um so uh, i want to i want to hone in on sort of the differences between the anglican church and the catholic church and since our audience we do a lot of talking about marriage and intimacy and the quote unquote rules uh, can you can you help me understand any of the big differences, small differences between what you believed as an Anglican and what we believe as Catholics in terms of birth control and all that kind of stuff? Yeah, um, the Anglican Church was actually at the forefront of the Christian churches accepting artificial contraception. Before the 1930s, artificial contraception was considered to be sinful and vulgar and just basically dirty and bad by all Christians. Um, something which was low and base, which a man would not do. Uh, and certainly a woman would not do. You heard stories about, um, you know, soldiers in the Second World War being given a packet of condoms. Uh, but it was considered to be a grubby, dirty thing. And then in the 1930s, uh, at the Lambeth Conference, I believe it was anyway, a, a conference in England, the Anglican Church was the first mainstream church to actually say contraceptives, artificial contraceptives were okay. Uh, and they said, of course, as these things usually go, they hedged it about with all sorts of um, conditions, you know, that things like uh, in certain circumstances, married couples under the advice of their pastor and the doctor may be able to use these um, techniques technologies uh, for the spacing the careful spacing of the planning of their family 
um, and said, of course, these things should not be used to promote promiscuity and so forth and so on. But they basically opened the door to artificial contraception. And then the other Protestant denominations soon followed. And of course, it was the Catholic the Catholic Church was the only which actually held to the um, you know, centuries-old tradition that these things were considered to be um, evil. So uh, how about, uh, we talk about birth control, how about other stuff like masturbation or other types of things uh, spouses can do? What what was well, sort of once, the angle? Yeah, once, once that sort of um, barrier fell, um, then it wasn't long before uh, the Anglican Church considered continued to go down the, the path of sexual um, tolerance, shall we say, tolerance of se all sorts of sexual activity, uh, which, of course, blew, blew wide open in the, with the sexual revolution. And you need to understand one thing about the Anglican Church. The Anglican Church has was founded by Henry VIII in the 16th century in a way of conforming the church to the spirit of the age. The spirit of the age then was uh, Protestantism, uh, nationalism, uh, the nation-state, and uh, the rule of, of uh, nation-state monarchs. And so Henry VIII, sort of putting his finger to the wind, saw which way the wind was blowing and created the Anglican Church, which is the Church of England with the monarch as its head. And uh, therefore, in every age, it is adapted to the spirit of the age. That's how it was founded. That's its sort of genetic code. So it should come as no surprise that in the 1960s, um, the Anglican Church did not really stand up against the um, sexual revolution. And now, of course, the Anglican Church has women priests, and they're debating the the, the legitimacy of same-sex marriage in, ch in church, having already accepted same-sex blessings. Um, regarding other sexual practices that Catholics would continue to say are intrinsically uh, disordered, the Anglican Church would just step back judgments and you know, would usually say, you know, masturbation, meh, not so bad. Um, sodomy, um, whatever people do in their, in their, we don't have any bedroom police, okay? Uh -huh. They would say, what you do is between you and your conscience. And now that's completely blown wide open. So um, even in factories, Anglican clergy houses, you will find the every kind of mix of, of modern uh, sexual sort of uh, alternatives. Uh, divorced and remarried clergy, uh, same-sex uh, married clergy, um, divorced, living with some clergy, um, cohabiting clergy, so forth <laughs> and so on. You find every permutation, and the basic, the basic sort of rule now is, don't ask what goes on in the in the in the clergy house bedroom. Wow. Was that uh, at all uh, part of what led you away from the Anglican Church, or you? Well, when I paint that picture, it's the, I left the Anglican Church in nineteen ninety five. So mm -hmm. what is that? Um, Thirty years ago now, almost. And um, of course, it's not that explicit because English people are very polite people. Yeah, okay? they right. don't talk about these things, <laughs> but that's the reality. Um, uh, I, I left the Anglican Church mostly over the debate over women's ordination to the priesthood. 
the Anglican Church was debating this on every level, from the parish level up to the um, general synod, as they call it. And that debate was so was actually, I try to be open-minded. I was, although I am by nature and upbringing conservative and was opposed to women's ordination, I tried to listen to the other side, and they actually have good arguments. However, um, I realized that this was making me confront what I call the Protestant problem, and that is, what do you do when uh, two groups of Christians who are both sincere and read their Bible and pray and, you know, worship, disagree about a major issue? You can only say, well, I guess it wasn't really important, we'll stay together, or yeah, it was important, we're going to go our separate ways and start our own, start our own church or go somewhere else. Um, and the Catholic Church actually had an authority system, not just the Pope, but a whole authority system, which was uh, universal, both geographically, in other words, they were able to consult with uh, Catholics all over the world, but also historically, able to consult with 2,000 years of tradition, um, and that that authority system was universal in its appeal and in its strength, uh, and therefore... That's why I became a Catholic, not just because of women's ordination, mm -hmm. but because of the authority question that underlies that question. Did, did you explore, look at like any of the Orthodox or other, I guess, non-Catholic or Eastern Catholic, or how did you end up on the Roman Catholic side of things? Because I'm a Western European man, right? You know, I I, I love the Eastern Eastern Orthodoxy and so much about it: their worship, their liturgy, their spirituality their pneumatology and so forth. Um, however, I'm not Greek or Russian. Right. <laughs> and, and and I felt that um, even though I could grow a long beard and call myself Father Innocent or something, um, <laughs> uh, I'm not mocking them. I have a lot of respect for them. But I, the thing is, I'm not Greek or Russian. And um, I'm a Latin, I'm a Latin, uh, my, my, my faith is derived from the Latin church. So when I went home, that's where I went to. So um, I'm curious then, and before we totally leave the um, Anglican end of things, but just in terms of the concept of sin, of course, we as Catholics have, you know, whole concepts of heaven and hell and mortal sin, venial sin, confession. Is, is there, Are there any remnants of that in the uh, Anglican church as it was when you left, or how would you compare them? No, Anglicanism, like most Protestantism, is highly individualistic. So um, you will find some Anglicans who practice confession, uh, some Anglicans who have a high view of Catholic moral theology, others who have no idea about it at all, others who are very low church and Protestant in their understanding, who basically it's all about how much you love Jesus kind of thing. So um, the Anglican church per se does not really have a magisterium. It doesn't have an official teaching other than the Articles of Religion, which were established in the 16th century. So you were a, a lay Catholic um, for about 10 years, and then you became ordained. Are you a diocesan priest then? Yes, I was ordained for the Diocese of Charleston in uh, 2006, uh, and so I'm a diocesan priest. I'm curious, were there any... <clears throat> any components of Catholicism, whether it's related to sort of the, you know, the, the morality rules that we just talked about or otherwise that you found the most difficult to either understand or, or appreciate given your background? 
Uh, yes and no. Uh, I appreciated the Catholic um, clarity on moral issues. However, I realized with that clarity very often goes a, um, a legalism and a, sometimes a kind of Jansenistic Puritanism uh, that goes along with those rules and regulations that there could be I, you know, I came from a very fundamentalist evangelical background, which was highly legalistic in many ways. Um, when I heard Catholics complaining about Catholic guilt, I said, hey, the Catholic <laughs> Church doesn't have a monopoly on that, okay? <laughs> um, and uh, so Anglicanism, with its ambiguity and its open-endedness, was a kind of freedom from the fundamentalist legalism. And so I was wary of the tendency within Catholicism to lapse back into uh, a kind of legalism based on the clarity of their moral teaching. And therefore, and, learning more about the Catholic moral teaching and Catholic moral theology has been encouraging because I realize within Catholic moral theology, they, the moral theologians actually acknowledge this tendency towards legalism and use both canon law and moral theology um, in a very compassionate way, allowing for human weakness and allowing for the reality of life uh, and, and what things are really like, both with the sacrament of confession, but also with its application of moral theology. So, in other words, that same Catholic authority system which attracted me also had the capability to administer moral theology a, cl a clear moral theology in a way that was full of also full of common sense and realism okay 